everybody. Everybody. With my diet, you can eat all you want, anytime you want. And you'll lose weight? Uh, you might. It's a free country. I've got the number one miracle in a bottle to burn your fat. Lose fat without diet or exercise. Stubborn stomach fat instantly disappears. I recommend a slow, steady gorging process combined with acyl horizontology. Garcinia Cambogia extract. Crystal sonic therapy. C. Buckthorn. Dr. Nick, this malpractice committee has received a few complaints against you. Dr. Oz being sued for advice he gave to viewers who struggle falling asleep. Dr. Oz is being accused of promoting quack treatments by some top physicians. Are you looking for a way to slash the cost of your medical expenses? How much would you pay for a pill that takes your body back 10 years? Call 1-600-DOCTORB. The B is for bargain. His empire and wealth have flourished. The most rewarding part was when he gave me my money. Bye-bye, everybody! Welcome to 10 Minutes on Democracy. I'm Jason Franklin, Senior Advisor at One for Democracy, and today is Tuesday, October 4th. That clip was from one of the latest attack ads run by John Fetterman's campaign for Pennsylvania Senate against Dr. Oz, an 80-second mashup comparing him to The Simpsons' Dr. Nick and his history of questionable product claims, treatments, and endorsements. It's just one example of the heightening attack ads being run across the country as we approach the final 30-day sprint towards the midterms. So even as voting is underway in many states around the country for mail-in ballots, it's worth noting that this is the moment we always hear these final round of revelations and attack ads. It's that last monthly sprint where we get you know, claims about Dr. Oz and quack medicine getting pushed much more emphatically in Pennsylvania. Down in Georgia, we've got the latest revelations about Herschel Walker supposedly paying for an abortion by his former girlfriend, and then his son coming out on Twitter talking about familial violence and lying in Herschel Walker's past. Expect to see more of these revelations. Expect to see more of these very pointed attack ads. They're the kind of final attempts by campaigns to move the needle one way or the other, and also expect to see ever more reports about tightening polls. I must have seen at least half a dozen in the last day about how this race is tightening or that race is tightening. And I'm getting questions from people about like, oh, is the momentum changing? Are things shifting? I just want to take a moment to talk about that because it's an important part of understanding how our democracy is portrayed right before an election. Every new poll is an easy hook for a quick news article for media reporters that are constantly forced to create new articles and reports every new day. A tightening poll maintains interest from the public, but we have to know that they're actually expected. The number of undecided voters always goes down as we approach an election, and that means the polls tighten or shift slightly one way or the other. But what you really need to do is look at polls en masse to see trends. Are all the different polls coming out showing a race is shifting in one direction or the other? That's really what tells you about how the races are shifting. 
And we also need to understand one of the differences in American democracy today versus a generation ago or even a decade ago is vote by mail has dramatically expanded. It was expanding before COVID. It took off and skyrocketed during COVID. And many states have kept it in a much more expansive form after COVID. And that means that final shifts may matter less as votes get locked in weeks before an election day. I've already voted. And so my vote personally won't change over the next 30 days, regardless of what comes out. Some people say you should wait until the last day to vote, but I personally vote based on policy positions rather than final revelations and attacks. But expect to see this in the last 30 days. We'll talk more about it in the next few weeks as we approach the midterm elections. Some other things to look at this week, growing concerns about poll workers. So there's two different sets of people who are working at polling locations poll workers who are the ones actually administering the election process and poll watchers who are generally partisan from a Republican or Democratic party watching and challenging the polling process. There's been a lot of conversation about poll watchers and them becoming more partisan than being allowed inside polling locations, intimidating voters. That's one big area of concern, but a growing concern is actually about the poll workers, those who are running elections reports being picked up by Politico and other sources about how election officials are worried about partisan groups that are trying to undermine election results by putting their people inside the polls. Nowhere has this been more central than in Michigan, where one far-right candidate for governor encouraged people to unplug election equipment if they believe something went wrong. A Michigan GOP county organization encouraged poll workers to ignore rules barring cell phones in the polling place. So concerns now by election officials, will they see a wave of trouble by their own poll workers who are intent on disrupting elections? More concerning would be a election administrator or a secretary of state intent on disrupting elections, but even poll workers can cause real problems, something that I know everyone will be watching in the next 30 days and especially the days of right before and right after the election. Other news coming out of Michigan is much more uh, optimistic. So a very rare moment of bipartisan agreement about election reform uh, this last week. The Michigan legislature has passed a set of four different bills that are going to allow uh, election clerks to start processing and verifying absentee ballots a couple days before the election. So they won't be able to count the election ballots, but they'll be able to kind of prepare them to speed up the election process. They're going to do regular removal of people who have passed away from voter registration lists. They are letting uh, active duty service members vote electronically beginning in 24. And they're going to be kind of consolidating and shifting how rules around drop boxes. But the fact that you had the Republican legislature pass it, Democratic Governor Whitmer is signing it to put mail voting and polling place provisions in place for this November election. Nice to see a moment of bipartisan agreement, even if it's pretty narrow and pretty simple. The other things to look at this week really tied to the Supreme Court. So Sunday actually marked 100 days since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. And Yesterday, more than a dozen state bans went into force, those that were banning abortion at or before six weeks, when many women don't even know that they're pregnant. That list includes several states like Texas and Alabama that don't include exceptions for rape or incest. Now, many states have been working to expand abortion access, but the, the thing to note for this week is a lot of those 
uh, trigger laws. A lot of those bans had a 100-day waiting period. So we've hit that moment, and it's just going to accelerate the debate over choice as we head into the final month before the midterm elections. And of course, also the Supreme Court returned to session on Monday, beginning their October term with a bunch of high-profile cases and with Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson seated as the first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court ever. But they're overall entering with a 6-3 conservative majority, and every Supreme Court term is pivotal because the cases that reach the Supreme Court are generally very substantial. But you've got a dispute over Idaho couple that built a home on protected land that could have huge impacts on the regulations of wetlands and other environmental conservation efforts. You've got challenges to race uh, university admissions policies. You've got a question about how far can the government go in prioritizing deportation of certain immigrants in the interest of national security, and most directly impacting the future of our democracy. We've got a pair of cases on the Supreme Court docket this term clarifying the power of state legislatures in the redistricting process and the considering and actually in granting space for consideration at the Supreme Court is a big deal. Once kind of fringe concept, the independent legislature doctrine, which argues that a state Supreme Court could not overrule a state legislature for violating its own constitution when it comes to regulating elections. It's the idea that the state legislature can do whatever it wants with no checks and balances when it comes to administering and deciding how an election will be administered and run. So hopefully that is thrown out as I believe it should be and most legal scholars and democratic activists believe it should be. But the fact that it is going in front of a 6-3 conservative Supreme Court, definitely something to be concerned about and to watch. Now, the court generally hears arguments from uh, beginning in October all the way through next April. Majority of its decisions get handed down in May and June. So not expecting any landmark decisions in the next few months from the court. But the fact that it has begun, I mean, we'll start hearing again about these new court cases over the next few months. So that's all for this week's review of developments in American democracy. I'm Jason Franklin. I look forward to talking with you again next week on 10 Minutes on Democracy. Take care.